Good afternoon, ladies and gents. It is Sunday, January 30th, 2022. Uh, we are going to just be doing a, a weekly preview here. It should be an interesting week. It should be another probably pretty volatile week. Um, the uh, divergence of opinion out there has started to get a bit extreme. Um, the, the gap between the Bears and the Bulls has gotten very testy. Uh, but that's what makes a market, uh, and it should translate into uh, another interesting week. I did want to quickly review some of the research that I read this weekend. I, I spend many hours each weekend consuming all the available research out there. It's hard to keep track of everything. There are a lot of learned opinions out there. I try to cast a wide net and uh, learn everything I can and stay on top of everything I can. Uh, so right out of the gate, Goldman Sachs has increased their estimate uh, of the Fed's hawkishness for 2022. They are now looking for five hikes. That's 125 basis points in total. Uh, they were estimating four hikes. Uh, I think the note actually was dated on Friday. So prior to Friday, they were looking for four. Now they're looking for five. Um, it's important to note that these big Wall Street firms uh, are notorious foot draggers whenever risk assets or whenever the outlook for risk assets starts, starts to turn sour. They all make a lot more money uh, in bull markets. They don't ever want to see bear markets. Um, and when bear markets do start to peek their head over the horizon, they tend to be uh, slow to react. Now, that's not the case across the board. Obviously, Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley turned bearish, uh, well, too early, but he was he turned bearish in the middle of last year. Uh, pretty much everything he said has come to pass, but he was definitely a bit early on that. Uh, uh, Mike Hartnett over at B of A, who I think is probably the best guy on the street, uh, he has turned very bearish over the last few weeks. Uh, but Goldman and JP Morgan, um, in particular, have kind of dragged their feet on making that transition to a more cautious tone. Uh, obviously, Marco Kalanovic over at JP Morgan uh, seems to just be paste, copying and pasting uh, his note. <laughs> Every time he puts out a no one, it's almost identical to the one before it. And it's been like that for six weeks. So we all know that Marco is bullish. He wants everyone buying the dip. Uh, he hasn't changed his opinion there. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, JP Morgan's uh, quant guys have taken a much more cautious tone, but Marco still is kind of their, their figurehead. So Goldman Sachs, on the other hand, which really try Goldman says a lot without saying anything. And that's just kind of, I think, how they like it. Uh, they like to be very, they're very, very cautious about making big calls. Their tone has started to turn more cautious slash more bearish as well. Um, so I think you're seeing that uh, with them increasing their estimate of the Fed hikes uh, to five, you've seen you're seeing this trend set in motion where Wall Street, the bulge brackets, are are starting to get the message out that they don't want to be held accountable for a major market correction. Um, one these trends once set in motion tend to continue for a while. So I would not expect any of the bulge brackets, ex JP Morgan, <laughs> should I say, ex Marco Kalanovic, uh, to take a very bullish tone for quite some time. Uh, they're covering their butts right now. Uh, and again, I think you're going to see more and more of this as the months progress, assuming that the stock market doesn't totally collapse. I mean, if we get a market collapse, the Fed probably isn't going to do very much this year. Uh, but given the tone out there, given how, bull how bullish so many seem to be, I mean, the, you know, it's hard to gauge the overall tone on financial Twitter, uh, but I've never seen, I haven't seen this many bulls in my feed in a while uh, and it's getting nasty. So obviously the bulls had a rough month and they're pissed off about it and they're doubling down. Um, but there's, there's no question in my mind that we, we have not seen any capitulatory selling yet. 
Um, when we look at the fact that the put call ratio came came off hard last week, skew is very low relative to recent history. Uh, yes, there is a lot of put buying going on right there. I'm going to touch on that in more detail in a second. Um, but skew, you know, people are not paying up the wazoo for downside, for crash protection the way they were during much of last year. Um, there was not, what was the other one I was going to point out? Uh, oh, the B of A bull bear indicator, which is really the best sentiment, sentiment indicator out there in my view. It ticked up to almost four this past week. I think it hit 3.8. So, you know, it has to get below two to trigger a sell signal and it's never really gotten close to it. Uh, so this notion that everyone is bearish is complete BS. It is not backed up whatsoever by the data. Uh, and then just when you, you get the sort of the, the informal, uh, not informal, but the, the best gauge possible of the tone out there among retail. Retail is still very, very bullish. Uh, and I get the sense too that institutions uh, remain cautiously bullish as well. So this notion that everyone's gone, everyone's gone crazy bearish, we're way oversold. It's just a bunch of nonsense. It is not backed up. Um, but let me let me divert back from that tangent to the research that I read this weekend. Um, really interesting piece from Brian McCarthy over at MacroView. Uh, he went through Powell's entire presser and commented on it. And the one thing that really jumped out at me is his comment that he says that what he what he got from Powell in terms of this being what he thinks Powell is saying, he thinks Powell is saying that they need to get to neutral as soon as possible. Uh, not that, oh, you know, we need to start hiking and, uh, you know, very gradually, uh, you know, remove our stimulus from the pandemic. No, no, no. He thinks he sees a sense of urgency that they're way behind, they know it, and they need to start catching up. So this raises an interesting prospect because this notion that we've already achieved peak hawkishness or peak Fed, which is the foundation of some of the more bullish calls out there, um, I, I think it's it, it implies that there are going to be no more hawkish surprises this year. You guys all know I've been calling for seven, seven rate hikes this year. And before I go any further, let me just review what my call is specifically, because a lot of people are getting it wrong. <laughs> my call is that we will see seven hikes this year. And by seven hikes, I mean 175 basis points of total uh, tightening, um, unless one of three things happens. If HYG, the high yield ETF, were to break below 80, all bets are off. If LQD, the investment grade ETF, were to fall below 112, all bets are off. If the S&P 500 were to fall below 3,500, I don't think that will stop the Fed entirely, but I think it will make them much more reluctant to hike aggressively. But what Brian McCarthy is really saying here, and which I totally agree with, is that I think the rate hikes this year are going to be front end loaded. I am I remain convinced that they are going to go 50 basis points in March, uh, unless, of course, one of the three things I just discussed happens. If stocks really crater or, you know, junk credit goes crazy or, uh, you know, credit spreads blow out, then, yeah, they're probably not going to hike 50 basis points. But given the sentiment out there and given how convinced so many people are that, that we're still in a bull market, which we are technically still in a bull market, but, you know, you got, you got some people out there calling for new all-time highs in the short term. So sentiment clearly is not panicky at all. Uh, I don't anticipate a major collapse in markets between now and the March Fed meeting. So assuming that we remain roughly where we are, maybe a little bit lower, maybe a little bit higher, 
I really think that they're going to hike 50. I think that they have to, to maintain any credibility. The two year is already up to 1.2%. All right. So the two year has essentially already hiked hundred basis points. If the Fed were not to move quickly and aggressively, it would lose the shred of credibility that it has left. And that's, a, I think, something that people are really missing. Everyone loves to bash the Fed. They have no credibility, blah, blah, blah. They know that <laughs> and they're, they're not happy about it. And I think their tone has changed completely of late. I have, that's the firmest I've seen Powell in a press conference since really the fall of 2018. He did, he refused, I mean, some of the reporters uh, gave him multiple chances to commit to 25 basis point hikes only, and he would not take the bait. That's a, and Brian McCarthy pointed, pointed that out too. He is absolutely keeping 50 on the table. He's not going to admit it outright, but that's what I think is going to happen unless, again, you know, risk assets really get themselves in trouble here in the near term. Um, okay, moving on, moving back to the research. Um, really interesting piece out from, uh, I'm trying to remember, Scott Rubner, I believe his name is. He's the Goldman Sachs tactical flows guy. He does amazing work. Uh, he's very loyal to the data. Uh, he, he, he had a very bullish call, <clears throat> excuse me, a very bullish call coming into the year. Uh, he was calling for a melt-up in January. He obviously got that wrong, but he but he's a data data dependent guy, and he pivoted pretty quickly. Um, and his headline is basically that we have not seen the green light to buy yet. Um, so here are some of the bullet points I wrote down from his piece. Uh, he points out that dealer gamma is still super negative. Um, now, just really uh, really quickly to review what that means. So. Um, anytime a dealer sells an option, whether it be a call or a put, it has to hedge its exposure, right? It's just providing liquidity to the markets. It's not interested in taking an outright short or bull, uh, short or long position. So they sell a call, they sell a put, they have to uh, do the opposite in the underlying to hedge their exposure. Um, what we've seen here over the last six weeks is that we've gone into what's known as negative gamma land, where... <clears throat> dealers, their exposure, they've kind of gotten caught with their pants down and they now need to chase in both directions to hedge their risk. All right. So it, what we've seen over the, over the course of the month so far, while we've been in negative gamma territory is dealers have been overexposed to the long side and now they're hedging themselves on the short side. They've been chasing stocks lower. Now, uh, negative gamma in this case was, was bearish. It doesn't have to be bearish and it's one of the things that can fuel a violent counter trend rally. So negative gamma very much works both ways. The dealers have you know, played catch up on the way down and chased. And if the market starts to move meaningfully higher from here, they will play catch up and chase on the way up. So what negative gamma really means, because a lot of people talk about it like it's just bearish and it's not. What it, what it means is that dealers are, <laughs> they're screwed and they're trying to unscrew themselves. So it is a, it is a exacerbating factor in terms of volatility. Because we're still deep in negative gamma territory on the NASDAQ, I think we're closer to the flip level in the S&P, but because we're still there on the NASDAQ, um, we're likely to see all moves exacerbated in the short term. All right, so dealer gamma, super negative. Uh, positive gamma, dealers act as a buffer on price action. They keep volatility very low. Um, they, they kind of act as uh, brakes on a car, if you will, in both directions again, but that's gone. Dealers are now accelerators. Okay. So keep that in mind. Uh, so Rubner says they're seeing the most put buying ever. Now as a headline, 
Everyone hears that and they go, oh, the market's long puts, that's bullish. And it certainly is at the margin. But let's take a wider context here. Um, as I noted earlier, skew is still relatively low uh, based, you know, relative to the last 12 months or so. Skew is very low. Put call ratio is very low. Um, but skew in particular, people were bidding up that deep out of the money protection all year last year. They're just like they didn't trust the rally. They were expecting the bottom to fall out at any day. You know, implied volatility on QQQ puts and SPY puts that were deep out of the money got up into the 40s for a lot of last year. I think it even actually on QQQ got over 50 at one point. And let's review real quickly what that means. So I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the rule of 16, um, but basically what that says is take the implied volatility of any option and divide it by 16. And that is the implied daily move in the underlying. So if an so if an option has an implied volatility of 32, it means the market is expecting an average 2% move between now and expiration. So when you get up to, you know, 32, 48, uh, up, up even into, you know, 64, like you're, the market is basically saying it expects 3% plus moves every day, which is not sustainable longer term. And a lot of people got themselves in trouble by overpaying for that protection. The market kept moving lower and they still were losing money. And they're sitting there scratching their heads going, what's going on here? I bought puts, I'm losing money anyway. And that's one of the things that does drive these occasional uh, put pukes. Um, but getting back to my bullet points here, uh, put buying at the margin, it creates the conditions necessary. It adds fuel to a short covering rally. But based on skew, we are still a long way from that, in my view. People are not paying up the way they were. The market is long puts, okay, but they can get a lot longer puts. Next one, Goldman seeing the largest outflows from LQD and HYG since September of 2020. This is very notable because credit spreads really haven't done that much thus far. Uh, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, God, the Fed can't hike now. The economy is slowing. The Fed can't hike now. Stocks are under pressure. It's absolute nonsense. The Fed, yes, they do care about stocks. Of course they do. It has become an unofficial mandate to at least prevent a stock market crash. That being said, the, their, their real unofficial third mandate is pro, you know, properly functioning markets, particularly credit markets. The Fed is much more concerned with HYG and LQD than it is with SPY. I will stand by that every day. Um, so until there is some kind of a fissure or buckling in credit markets, they are going to keep hiking. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Above all else, or at least above most else, the Fed fears having no dry powder to fight the next recession. They currently have none. 10-year break-evens are now at 2.4%. A neutral Fed funds rate is probably something in the realm of 2%. There's your seven hikes, okay? So as long as credit markets hold up reasonably well, the Fed is not going to care very much about stocks up to a point. So everyone always talks about the Fed put. What is the strike of the Fed put at the moment? I'm just going to go ahead and stick it at 3,500. Uh, 3,400 was where we topped out before the pandemic hit. Seems like a reasonable number. So let's just say for the sake of argument that if the S&P does fall below 3,500, the Fed will start to back off. We are a long way from 3,500 right now. The Fed is not going to come to the assistance of the stock market right now. They are in inflation fighting mode. They are under enormous political pressure. 
they are going to grab as much dry powder as they can. And I do believe they are going to front end load these hikes because they know, they see the writing on the wall. They see that the curve is starting to flatten sharply. They know that they might invert the yield curve. They're going to hike as much as they can in the short term. They may not get past two or three hikes. It's entirely possible. But again, those three, uh, those three, you know, three thresholds that I talked about, 80 for HYG, 112 for LQD, 3,500 for SPY. We are a long way from all three. Until we get closer to that, I think it's still, it's where I am still in sell the rips mode. I will always obey the price action. Everyone knows that we are short QQQ. We are long a bunch of ETFs against it. We're long SPY. We're long EMXC. That's Emerging Markets X China. We are also long MCHI, the China ETF. We are long IJR, the S&P 600 ETF. We are long IJH, the S&P 400 mid-cap ETF. Obviously, we are bearish on tech. Um, but tech stocks still have, and especially given the fact that they play such an important role in the major indices because of their cap weighted, tech stocks can fall a much farther way, the big tech stocks anyway, because obviously a lot, of the, a lot of the other subsectors of the technology sector have already gotten crushed. It's really just big tech that has continued to hold up reasonably well, Apple being the best example of that on Friday after a strong earnings report, the stock rocketed higher, it's back above 170. Tech stocks can fall a very, very long way before the Fed's going to worry about it. And here's another thing on that. Don't think that it has escaped the Fed's notice that foreigners have started using QQQ instead of TLT. It used to be that foreigners would sterilize our deficits by buying treasuries. They started buying big tech in lieu of treasuries. They are now competing. So basically, big tech stocks, the, the top six stocks, are now competing directly with the U.S. Treasury. And they are doing so at a moment where our twin deficits, well, well not at a moment, our twin deficits have been high for a long time. The Treasury cannot afford to let that continue. So don't think for one second that the Fed doesn't see a silver lining in letting tech stocks and therefore the S&P and NASDAQ crater a little bit. Not much, but just a little bit. Okay, what else do we got here? Leverage is still at extreme levels. It is down considerably from the last six months uh, versus the average over the last six months, but it is still at historic highs. Okay, so institutionally, uh, this is mostly hedge funds. They are levered. They are long. Uh, they're not all long. Most of them are long short, but there's still a lot of leverage in the system. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bearish. What it does mean is that the potential for degrossing and denetting is high. Okay, there's still plenty of room for leverage to come out of the system. Retail is still buying as heavily as ever. And this is sad. It is not surprising. Retail, for the most part, I've seen several charts showing that they have just gotten pummeled over the course of January. Makes sense because all they've really been doing for most of the last 22 months was buying deep out of the money call options on Tesla and Apple and QQQ, etc. They've gotten pummeled, but they are not dead yet. As Monty Python would say, they are, I'm oh, sorry, not Monty Python, uh, as the Princess Bride uh, character, Billy Crystal's character, forget his name, uh, Miracle Max. As Miracle Max would say, they're mostly dead, but they're not all dead. They are still in there buying and they are buying aggressively on every dip. Um, is that bullish or bearish? You can read it one of two ways, or you can read it both ways if you want. On the one hand, 
they're still there. They've still got dry powder. They're still committed to this thing that's made them so much money over the last 22 months. On the other hand, it just creates more fuel to the downside. All right. Uh, Goldman, uh, Scott Rubner, Goldman, technical flows guy, sees lots of money flowing into non-US markets. Very important point. People, I think, are getting the message, uh, and you see this with the rocketing value, uh, the, the, the rocketing higher of value ETFs relative to the broad market. People are looking for better deals. They're, they're going abroad. They're going to emerging markets. They're going to Europe. Um, and so that is a trend. It's been a trend for several weeks now. So I think that's probably something that's going to continue. Um, lots of outflows from money market funds last week. That would explain the rally on Friday. There's still a ton of dry powder out there. It is looking for a home and people are not hesitating to deploy it. So again, to suggest that the whole thing has become so bearish and oversold, it's just silly. All right. Did want to touch on a piece from, I think this was Goldman as well, talking about commodities. They, they list five tailwinds for commodities. Um, first one, demand for inflation protection. Yes, commodities, stocks are not the only inflation hedge by any means. Commodities are much cheaper and also offer protection, not only against inflation, but as point number two says, they offer geopolitical hedges. The carbon transition is a net positive for several metals. Uh, the reopening uh, or anti-COVID or COVID jumping the shark, whatever you want to call it, uh, definitely a net positive for commodities as well. And the, the main one here, the one that I'm most focused on, the fact that, especially like at the pension institutional level, commodities remain heavily underinvested. Yes, they've rallied a lot. Yes, commodities are becoming a more popular long, but they are still heavily underowned. Uh, they are still extremely cheap relative to stocks. All right. What else do we got here? Uh, T.S. Lombard has done a really nice job with their Fed, uh, with their Fed commentaries. They agree with both me and Brian McCarthy that the Fed has to move faster and earlier, fronting front end loading these hikes. They need to get back to neutral quickly. Um, this notion again that we've reached peak Fed or peak hawk. Yes, the market's now pricing in five hikes. Yes, Wall Street consensus is for four, but as we've talked about, they always lag. Um, but the market's starting to get the picture. It's clear that at least if you look at Fed's funds, Fed funds futures or Eurodollar futures, the market is aware that the Fed is probably going to do some hiking this year. So where the question becomes now, okay, we're at peak Fed. Let's just buy stocks. The, the, all the bad news is priced in. I understand the impulse. That being said, I'm calling for 50. I'm, again, unless risk assets really take a pounding here in the short term, I think they're going to go 50. There are some people calling for that. There are, I think that that you know, the market is pricing in a 30% probability of a 50 basis point rate hike in March, very low. So if there's potential, let me rephrase, there is potential for a hawkish surprise. Make no mistake. If they go 50 in March, people are not going to be prepared for it, at least according to what we're currently seeing in Fed funds futures. Last thing I wanted to touch on. Two things, actually. First, interesting comment from UBS on oil. They're lowering their forecast for U.S. production this year. So obviously, the oil trade has become mostly about geopolitical tensions, but it is also about supply simply not keeping up with demand. We are oil bulls. I am wary that I think we may have reached peak Ukraine, possibly. We'll see. I'm a little worried about a sharp pullback in the short term, but I'm going to stick by my $110 a barrel forecast for this year. Um, 
And again, UBS saying that they expect supply from the U.S. to be lower than expected. Net net, that is bullish for oil. Two questions from subscribers. I had requests to comment on two things here. The first one, what's going on with the yield curve? Steepening, flattening, you know, where are things going? So obviously we've seen quite a bit of flattening here in, um, in several parts of the curve. I did want to point out that the twos, tens spread, two-year, 10-year spread just completed. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to throw it up here just so I don't say this the wrong way. Give me one second. Here, where are we? Twos, tens just completed a perfect 61.8% Fibonacci retracement of the entire post-COVID move. Technically, at the very least, we are at a dangerous level for those that are betting on an inverted yield curve. We might get there, I don't know. I think the arguments in favor of an inverted yield curve, especially if the Fed does hike aggressively, I think they're very compelling arguments. But for the time being, this is a dangerous spot to bet on more flattening, just technically. Just as a lot of people think we've reached peak hawkishness, I, I think we've also kind of, at least in the short term, we may have reached peak inverted yield curve sentiment. So keep an eye on that. I don't think we're going to see material flattening from here. Uh, and by from here, I just mean between now and the next Fed meeting. I think we probably are close to a bottom in that spread uh, in the short term. That, that may be a trade we put on. I'll have to think about that a little bit more. The next question regarded uh, was actually a two-part question. The first part was, is it worth buying gold here? So great question. I mean, right now, the NASDAQ and gold are watching the same exact thing, and that is real yields, okay? Gold cannot thrive while real yields are rising. The NASDAQ, can, it, it has and can decouple from this, but for the most part, the correlation between real yields and the NASDAQ has been deeply negative. Um, my view here is like, I'm more bullish than bearish on gold, okay? I do think rates are heading higher. I think the 10 year is probably heading north of 2% here in the first half of the year. That's definitely not bullish for gold. Um, that being said, gold is underowned. Um, you know, a lot of people have bailed on gold and opted for Bitcoin. I think gold is probably the, the most underowned it's been in a long time. But instead of betting on a breakout to the upside in gold, we've chosen to play this by being long um, Jan 2023 GLD 170 straddles. Gold volatility tends to explode to the upside alongside price. So when price breaks higher sharply, gold volatility goes up. That's kind of strange because normally, like especially with the stock market, when you see the S&P 500 break to the top side, volatility drops, but it doesn't do, work that way with gold. It works the opposite way. Um, now, volatility also breaks lower when gold goes down, but sort of uniquely, gold volatility will increase if we do get a major breakout. So being long a straddle here kind of makes us net long in a way, but we also have downside protection in case real yields do rise materially from here and gold breaks down. Uh, last point, last question, uh, euro dollar, what's going on? Where are we heading? So this is really a tale of two central banks. Uh, the Fed does have plenty of room to hike in my view. They will hike in my view. Europe is just such a mess compared to the US. Uh, the ECB really does not have very much flexibility with regard to, I mean, they're, they're gonna try to hike a little bit, but I don't think anyone takes them that seriously. And in this case, I don't really blame them. 
Um, the euro dollar, uh, euro USD has obviously gotten slammed. The dollar index, uh, you know, 56% of the dollar index uh, is euro. So the dollar index has rocketed higher. Euro dollar has rocketed lower. It's hard, it, even though I think we're going to see some outflows. Uh, if we, let me rephrase. If we see outflows from the NASDAQ continue, which I think we will over the next few months, that should create some selling pressure on DXY for the reason I mentioned earlier, the fact that foreigners started sterilizing our deficits using tech stocks instead of treasuries. But for now, let's just say that you know technically and fundamentally, the euro dollar exchange rate is not in good shape. Uh, I would not be a buyer of it. I would not be a shorter of the dollar index. Um, I wouldn't really want to chase it to the top side either, just because it's already gone so high. I'm pretty much going to stay neutral uh, on the currency stuff for now. I might do something. I, I'm warming back up to the to the short uh, short Aussie dollar, long Canadian dollar trade. I have to revisit that again. But no, I would not buy the euro dollar. Uh, I would not buy the euro right here against pretty much anything. All right, so that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we'll be back on Twitter shortly. Going to watch a little football now, uh, but we'll be back out there tweeting, uh, tweeting our stuff uh, in a little bit. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you again tomorrow afternoon.